Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Hoovering, the podcast about eating. I'm Jessica Fosterkew. I love eating as much as anything else in the world, but also it sometimes brings me conflict, shame and all sorts of other things that are rubbish. It's complicated and I think fascinating. This is a conversation with an interesting soul, not just about food, but about gobbling it up, or if you will, hoovering. Hey dear heads, this is a special one. We are halfway through January, the hardest and the diet noisiest of all the months. And in this episode, I'm talking to someone so amazing that they were um, personally a formative part of my recovery from disordered eating. And they will have been to hundreds, probably thousands of people. It's dietitian counsellor, host of the Food Psych podcast, and now author of the best-selling smash hit book, Anti-Diet, it's Christy Harrison. She's a seriously key part of revolutionising what health means, and I am beyond smug that I got to hoover with her. Um, first up, thank you for listening to Hoovering. If you want to do us a solid, you can tell other people about it. One way to do that and share the news about the podcast is to give it a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to it. If you have the means and uh, the will to support the podcast financially, Actually, you can do that with a, a one-off, maybe fiver, over at supporter.acast.com forward slash hoovering. There'll be links, as ever, to everything in the podcast notes. Or if you want to help in a more regular way, I exchange uh, very fun podcast-related stuff like guest recipes through to loads of exclusive content um, for your hard-earned cash from as little as two quid a month over at patreon.com forward slash the hoovering pod. If you want to try Oddbox, that's uh, like a an amazing fruit and veg delivery company in um, at the moment just in London and surrounding counties um, annoyingly but I'm sure it will grow um, who uh, deliver stuff that's fruit and veg that's like wonky or scuffed or like basically it's perfect it's often just a bit too big that's been rejected by supermarkets or it was surplus to supermarkets demands um, you can get a tenner off your first box if you want by using a link that's in the podcast notes or in my bio on Twitter if you're following the podcast at the hoovering pod which makes it only a few quid for a whole box of fruit and veg they're amazing um okay let's get into this um oh so christy and i talked on the zooms from our respective sides of the pond she's in the states um it's the morning in her time when we spoke and it was the morning after capitol hill was stormed <laughs> uh, so what better time to to hoover some bowls of cereal together um 
This conversation was everything I dreamed it would be. This woman is so brilliant and she's been one of the key voices and people who've changed my outlook on eating to one that is happy now and forever. Um, almost as much as my own therapists. Uh, so yeah, I'm as surprised as you that I even vaguely keep my shit together to virtually meet her. Enjoy. Oh, this is such a treat to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. It's very cool. And we're, I mean, you're in the States. I'm in London. Um, so it's your kind of morning time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're all time. having some cereal. Is yep. that right? Cereal. What cereal have you got? Yours looks delicious. Oh, thanks. Yours- yeah, it's like a, like flakes and clusters. It's from Trader Joe's. I don't know if you have Trader I've Joe's. I've heard of Trader there. Joe's, but no, we don't have it here. So it makes okay. it sound, but to me, that's very exotic and exciting, even though it yes. could just be like not at all exciting. To me, it's it not, sounds like really minimally snazzy. exciting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of exciting in the sense like it's a cheap grocery store, but it's exciting in that it has all kinds of fun, different foods and they and it's all proprietary stuff. So it's like Trader Joe's brand, you oh, know, flakes, vanilla cool. flakes and clusters, which is, I think, like Honey Bunches of Oats, which is that's the brand name. Um, I think they make it's all stuff that other brands make just under their store name basically <gasps> we have an equivalent here we have the two german originally german supermarkets called aldi oh, and yeah. lidl and oh, they yes uh, they're like we have the aldi do you oh my mm-hmm. god that's so fascinating that they've, so they just when like all supermarkets that hadn't gone online basically this is way before the pandemic were really struggling mm-hmm. aldi and lidl just had a great time here because they basically did exactly that they rebrand lots of very famous kind of brands of chocolate bar and cereal and all of that stuff mm-hmm. but under their own brand and um yeah they've played an absolute blinder and yeah it's great it's great <laughs> stuff okay well that sounds very nice yeah. i've um i've got rice krispies which i've not had for a long time oh, nice. because i had some in to make and this was revelatory but um mars bar fridge cake which is like melted what is that dry. do you have mars oh, bars there uh i think so it's I like i think they're like a rarity but right they're like fondant caramel covered in chocolate with particularly thick mm. chocolate on top in like whips. And they're like, I mean, vibe wise, I think the best way to describe them is you, you, they're not like, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're like, they're an effort. And in that way, they're so satisfying. But they're the sort of chocolate bar. I mean, I'm going to get people emailing me going, excuse me, I take 10 hours over mine. But I think they're the sort of thing that when, you know, when your body goes, oh, God, you, you're hungry and you want something and you need sugar and you need like they're that. And they're the sort of thing that you want to like chomp, not like yeah. nibble. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get abused. Be, you, if you're a Mars bar nibbler congratulations you do you yeah it's um, fine yeah but basically you melt down a load of those and mix it up with rice krispies and then you melt some more chocolate mm. on the top and you cut it into cubes and it's so fun and it was fun things oh that sounds kid. delicious yeah like a rice krispie treat with a twist exactly like a exactly mm. really like yeah everything it has it had everything going for it so i've got those because i had them in and then some cereal that i give my son so often but had never tried and thought oh mm. there we go i need to have a word of <laughs> myself there um that's like apple kiwi and carrot flavor cereal from yeah and um i just put some bananas in that and i've waited till now to pour the milk on in case it went soggy so i'm gonna do that that's so smart i did i did the milk already okay you might be yeah you might have some soggy cereals there i the thing with the flakes and clusters though is like the clusters are very hard and they take a while to break down so i actually like the clusters more soggy the flakes are better it's a it's a tricky cereal to get right (laughs) it sounds like it's complex and i like that they've gone from multiple textures and it's sturdy Mm -hmm. Rice cake, uh, rice krispies here brand themselves on making a snap, crackle, pop noise when you put the milk. Oh on yes, it. yep. I'm not getting, I'm not getting a lot of volume oh. off these guys. Christy. I hear a couple. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I've got some. Oh, I yeah. think they're either I haven't packaged, like I have not sealed the thing on them very nicely, which is very much <laughs> possible, or <laughs> I just got some shy ones. Yeah, let's just, go. With you know, that. take a little while to come come out. Um, okay, right. let's go in. Oh, so fun to eat on a mic. It's so fun to eat on a mic. <laughs> I promise you have people who are interested in eating and not just perverts who like the ASMR of crunching listening to this. Mm. 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 So good. That's so nice. 
It's yeah. the afternoon here, and um, mm. I don't think I've ever had cereal in the afternoon. You're so conditioned into having a breakfast thing at a breakfast time. Mm-hmm. This is a great snack over the afternoon. Yummy. I used to have it. I used to have a bowl of cereal every day when I got home from school when uh-huh. I was growing up. Or like several bowls, depending yeah, yeah. on how hungry I was. Um, yeah, it was like my favorite snack growing up, I think. It's so good, isn't it? And also it's something like mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, you it's pretty, you don't need a parent to help you with it. You can right. it's do so it. It's easy. just putting two things in a bowl, right? Exactly. Yeah. Cooking, I'm um, really surprisingly impressed by the cereal I give my kid. I thought it might taste of nothing, but be interesting mm-hmm. colours. But actually, you can really taste strawberry in it. Maybe not kiwi, but I'm, I think I might be mildly relieved I can't taste kiwi with milk. Yeah, when you said kiwi, I was like, wow, that's that's yeah. a next level flavour for a cereal. Yeah, and it doesn't taste of that. And thank God, actually. Mm-hmm. Or carrot. I'm glad I'm not aware of the carrot and kiwi. Um, they can put it on the box <laughs> and they can make people... <laughs> feel like they're having a carrot and kiwi but this is it's strawberry flavor cereal and that's a good thing mm. yeah um, that's the best so i mean you're i have to say like uh, i mean I, I i'm starstruck and so honored to be mm. talking to you one of the first people who um helped me see the light regards diets um so first of all thank you Aww, that's um, nice. Thank you. Thank you for your tireless work and your amazing podcast, Food Psych. Um, you've now written a stunning book as well, The Anti-Diet. And you're a total wizard when it comes to intuitive eating. So um, I, I want to ask you some initially just some very fundamental questions, which I've no doubt you've been asked a million times. But um you know, just in case there's, and, and there will be, there's anyone listening who's um, totally new to these ideas uh, and still spending their life, um, I don't know, with one of their main missions being to get this, um, to get this different body, as I did for 30 something years, you know, be like, ultimately deep down what you really, what I really wanted was the well, the end game was to, to be in a thin body and that that sort of was quietly overshadowing everything and I don't know if you get this I think because I do this podcast and and we speak to and I know you do because your podcast your guests are incredible but we speak to all these amazing people it's possible I found um, from experience to fill yourself with like a very positive happy echo chamber which is a very good thing to do in terms of your mental health etc um full of people who you know, I'll have no toxic chat, but actually the world at large is still, I still feel like actually it's, it's very easy to forget that you're in a bubble and mm-hmm. that the world at large is still very much kind of um, receptive to the noise that we should all be in a small body ideally and that that should be, especially women's, part of their kind of main goal in life. Um, so I just, on the assumption that... Um, a bunch of people listening will still be having that, even if they're, if it's a deep, like a deeply kind of keep it on the down low feeling, but mm-hmm. that really that's their desire um, and aren't kind of are, are still new to all of these terms. I guess let's start with like, what is eating intuitively? Do you think, would you mm-hmm. say? Yeah, it's such a good question. So, I mean, intuitive eating is the way we're all born knowing how to eat, right? I always uh-huh. say it's the default mode. It's, um, you know, eating when you're hungry, knowing your hunger signals, trusting them, honoring them, um, knowing and feeling when you're full and allowing that to, you know, not like this sort of rigid way of I must stop as soon as I'm full, but more like, yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I'm like, I lose interest in food and I move on to the next thing. Um, it's eating for pleasure and satisfaction. It's eating without diet culture rules in your head, you know, telling you what to do and not having any foods that are sort of considered off limits from like a diet culture moralizing perspective, but more, you know, you can have foods you like and dislike, or, you know, there might be foods you're allergic to. There might be foods that you eat or don't eat for religious reasons, but there's not like this diet culture impetus to eat and and not eat certain foods and the guilt and shame and deprivation that goes along with that. Um, and so that's, you know, how we're all born knowing how to eat, right? Like babies don't come out counting calories or being like, I have to work off this breast milk or whatever, (laughs) you know, they just (laughs) imagine, (laughs) right? Oh God. And thankfully, you know, we, we all are born without that, but then we're socialized into this culture. That's like, you know, some foods are good and others are bad kids younger and younger now are getting taught, you know, 
the traffic light. I don't know if you have the traffic light thing over there, but like in our schools, there's, you know, nutrition curricula that say um, these foods are always foods. These foods are sometimes foods and these foods are like never foods or like caution, you know. We have like a Um, wheel on our packaging. Yeah. Sometimes we're like red, green and yellow. Yeah. So like some foods, this food is red for fat. This food is red just for salt, but blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's like Mm -hmm. danger, danger food. Yeah, Right, exactly. And so like, you know, that's the culture that we're socialized into, right? Is like this sort of good and bad and danger, you know, save danger slash savior kind of like dichotomy um, with food. And so we all get so pulled away from our intuitive eating skills, usually at, at some point in our life. I think it's like the rare person who's able to eat intuitively their whole life. And mm. I was kind of one of those rare people that in that I was able to eat intuitively until age 20 because, you know, I had the privilege of being in a smaller body and not having anyone tell me I needed to lose weight, privilege of not having like significant disordered eating in my family. And so Uh-oh. nobody was like, you're too fat and sort of like nobody was projecting that onto me. Um, and the privilege of, you know, economic security and always having enough to eat and never having to worry about having enough food. And so, I think all those things, you know, sort of insulated me from um, going on a diet at an earlier age. But when I was 20, I studied abroad in Paris. I gained a little bit of weight. And all of a sudden, it was just like, you know, the tinder of diet culture, the, all the ideas that I've been yeah. sort of accumulating over time, right, would just lit up. And, um, and I was like off to the races and, you know, really became very disordered very quickly. Um, in my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then I spent 10 or so years trying to get back from that. And, you know, now 10 years after that, here I am like, um, you know, sort of speaking about intuitive eating and helping spread the word because that's what really helped me so much in my healing was this really? um, sort of formalized practice of intuitive eating, you know, cause there's like intuitive eating is the default mode, but then there's also intuitive eating the book and intuitive eating the movement, you know, which yeah, is- yeah, yeah. A book by um, my fellow dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, who've been mentors to me and friends. And, you know, they've been doing this work for 30, 40 years. Um, they wrote the first edition of the book in 1995. So, like, this has been around, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, discovering that book and sort of the principles of intuitive eating there, they have 10 principles that they lay out to kind of help you get back to that default relationship with food. And it's, you know, reject the diet mentality is the first principle because you really have to um, stop taking part in diet culture in order to get back to that easy, free relationship with food that we're all born with. And then it's honor your hunger, make peace with food, which means not having, you know, good and bad foods, not having certain foods be off limits for diet culture reasons. Um, you know, uh, feeling your satisfaction, right? Honoring and and seeking out satisfaction and pleasure, feeling your fullness. Um, You know, there's this whole like list of principles that is really helpful at just reconnecting with that innate, easy, peaceful relationship with food that we're all born with. And in those principles, you know, the 10th and last principle is gentle nutrition. So, you know, sometimes I hear the misconception that it's like intuitive eating, it means never eating a vegetable again or only eating, you know, exactly what you want in the the moment you want it. And it's like, no, it's not that. It's, you know, certainly eating what you want and allowing yourself to have pleasure is a very central part of intuitive eating. And also eventually, like once you break down all the diet culture rules and sort of get away from the demonization of some foods and elevation of others you can get to a place where you can consider nutrition in that in the context of like honoring your body and honoring your desires Um, but I think you can't really get there with nutrition until you've done that work to break down all the diet culture rules and beliefs and until you've gotten back in touch with your body otherwise it's just turn you know you can basically turn intuitive eating into another diet just like anything else totally Um, yeah you got to be real careful about that I think I think that happens quite a lot, doesn't it, as well? Because also it's another way of monetizing it is if you turn it into a diet, essentially. And I think, you know, I would, I'd always advise and talk to people all the time about exercising a bit of caution, especially if you're looking, for example, to Instagram or somewhere like that for kind of advice on that stuff, because there'll be just ways of, there's ways of ruining every good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. I want to go back to uh, oh, so many points that you've made me make so many beautiful points, and those 
those principles are extraordinary. First, one of the first thing that you said that really interested me there, because I think it's one of the constant dilemmas that I have is, well, one, it's like, it's fascinating that we're born with this intuition. Um, you know, you watch any small kid reject a food they don't want. <laughs> you don't force it. You know, they cut, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, to the, but the fact that we go, the fact that we're socialised so far away from that, that the effort it requires, psychologically anyway, <laughs> to go back to that, once, you know, you've, you've, fought, you've grown up with all of this noise, it's, it's actually bonkers if you think how in, innate that is, that we have to then unlearn so much bullshit, really, to be able to go back to that. It's, it's bananas. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, one thing that's really interesting, because I think it's um, uh, something I find myself weighing up, is that for me, sort of freeing myself from diet culture has meant you gain all this sort of... You refer sometimes to um, to diet culture as the life thief. And it's so spot on. Like, you, you, you all this... Um, energy that you get back all this room in your heart and in your mind for creativity for productivity for anything else where you're not thinking it, it, about food in um in diety terms you gain all of that back but one of the things i do find i'm still weighing in the balance is um where because for me what it's meant is now i'm able to really 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 think about food that much beyond the joy of planning it and eating it and all you know taking joy outside of that it's not kind of something that stresses me out or takes up all of my time um and every now and again though i have to w walk a small tightrope in terms of like but where do you bring in um like you were saying for sometimes for people who for a medical reason or a religious reason might have some constraints or financial reasons some constraints on what it is and they eat and how they eat and when they eat um and, you know, I kind of feel massively privileged that I don't have any of those financial constraints, but even kind of, you know, what if you have religion that involves fasting or, you know, all that stuff. I, my last guest, one of my most recent guests on here has very extreme, um, very full on diabetes. You don't have a choice. You have to monitor things in a way that you know is going to, you know, most people would find really hard work. But even just in terms for me of occasionally going, well, I really, I do, I care about uh, sort of environmental impacts of what i'm eating and that's the one for me where i'm like ah, okay well that's where it, if i'm gonna have any rules that's where they're gonna come in mm -hmm. um and then it's kind of striking a balance i think um so we have a lot of people in this in the uk who will be doing a thing called veganuary here where they go oh, vegan God, for january yeah. um, <laughs> and then um, i had an interesting thing because they asked me to to put stuff on social media promoting them and hmm. and in the end I did a tweet but I kind of think I I want to be really careful I don't want people to be there's so many reasons why this it's so easy to use veganism as a, a sort of morally okay code word for a diet yes <laughs> and I think if you're going to do it go for it but really have a word with yourself first mm -hmm. about if you're doing it for a, an unsustainable reason really because Oh, it's hard. That's what I always, you know, counsel people is like, think about your intentions with it and think about like, you know, is this really coming from strictly an animal rights and environmental place? You know, if so, like, cool, right? If that's, if that's all it is. But if you're someone who has a disordered relationship with food already, I think it's likely that there's probably some disordered thinking in there. Or even if you're, even if you don't have a pre-existing disorder relationship with food that you can sort of identify um, I think in diet culture, we all have a little bit of disorder. We're all sort of, you know, like for me, there was all that Tinder piling up in my, you know, psyche, even though like I wasn't actually doing any of the diet culture behaviors, right? Like for years that was accumulating yeah. and all it took was a diet for it to get, you know, sparked. And I think I see that a lot in people, you know, not that everyone who goes vegan for veganuary or any other reason is going to have that happen. But I think it's, it does happen. It happens, you know, fairly frequently in the population that I see. Um, and so I think really sort of thinking through like, what are your goals here? What are your intentions and how can you pr protect yourself from that? Like unintentional mm -hmm. harm that might be created. And, you know, for me, like I'm also someone who really cares a lot about the environment, but I have this whole history of eating disorders and disordered eating that is, that I know is very present for me, you know, like, I mean, it's not, 
I'm not triggered in my day-to-day life. I'm not still struggling. I haven't been struggling for, you know, eight or 10 years now, but, um, but I know that that, you know, that that always exists and lives in me and I don't want to tempt it back. And so for me, I've found that, you know, trying to go vegan or something like that, you know, strictly, um, really doesn't help. It doesn't work for me. What I've found is, you know, sometimes I, you know, I try to buy the organic when I can, I might have, you know, meals that don't have meat or animal products in them occasionally, but I don't, I'm not strict about it. And that's what works for me. And I know that, you know, with social media, especially like the, the community of strict vegans can be very, you know, just like everything else on social yeah. media, right? Like the social justice community, the vegan community, there's, there's so much black and white thinking sometimes in those worlds. But I think we really need to bring in some nuance and, you know, think about what's actually compassionate for ourselves, especially when you think about veganism. I always say like, we're animals too, right? So if yeah. we're thinking about animal rights, you know, our own, health and well-being including mental health is is important to consider too and there's so many other ways to make an impact right you can you can buy you know eco-friendly cleaning products you can take public transit or get a car that's you know hybrid or electric or you know whatever there's lots of decisions obviously there's privilege in that too right but um there are decisions you know if you're in a position where you could be going vegan you probably also have the economic privilege to make other decisions that could be helpful for the environment and so maybe thinking about what makes the most sense for you given your relationship with food and your history yeah um, you know as totally a and i think it's, it's like sometimes it comes down to a personality difference a bit in the sense that like i've it's taken me all this life to learn that i'm someone who um who doesn't do very well with absolute rules so I have a very similar outlook to that I flirted with veganism historically and then kind of gone it was at the beginning of my journey to sort of sorting out my relationship with eating actually um then I suddenly realized that I was like why are you trying why are you doing this like it's, it's very, you, and, and now I find it much easier to say I just don't do very well with any absolute rules you know even when that comes to you know, patches of time where I'm not going to drink or like, and I gave up smoking. And um, Mm. even with that, I had to say to myself, like, I didn't have to say to myself, I chose to say to myself, you can smoke whenever you want, if you wanted. Mm -hmm. It's something you're choosing not to do right now. And actually, it's really empowering. But, you know, I spoke to so many people, as I'm sure have you, about eating. And actually, for some people, and I do believe that some people, I think, are living in a myth where they're like, no, I like rules. I just actually am someone who likes rules. And you're like, okay, I mean, whatever, whatever you're saying. <laughs> and then there's other people who I'm like, oh no, I think for some people, actually that's their way of going, well, I spend less, I spend a waste negative thoughts and energy on thinking about something if it's simpler and clearer and there are people for whom it's that uncomplicated and it's like, Do you know what? My life is easier if there are these three rules and they're absolute. And you're like, okay. You know, especially if perhaps, I don't know, you did have a religious upbringing or something like that. Um, right. Whereas I am, uh, whereas in my, I think in my teens and 20s, if you, you said to me, like, what if you lived a totally ruleless life when it came to eating? Mm. I'd find that terrifying. Um, I mean, I suppose it's sort of similar to this massive leap, but like, you know, the idea of like, People, the world getting their head around the fact that, that, that gender's a construct and that there's not right. just two gender things in the world you know stuff like that it's like your first encounter with that concept that philosophy might be absolutely like fucking terrifying and then over time you're like oh I don't know how I was living any other way it's actually very Mm -hmm. freeing but different yeah different personalities different journeys to that experience it's mad it's interesting it's yeah it's wild and I think you know in the sort of uh, psychological literature there's and, and behavioral sciences and stuff there's talk about like intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation mm. and it seems to be from the research that intrinsic motivation is more sustainable that people are going to keep up a behavior over time more if it's something that's coming from them as opposed to coming from the outside ah. and I think that's really kind of what I work with with intuitive eating because you know you were saying like um, this idea of saying you know I could smoke whenever I want I just am choosing not to right and give yeah that that sort of ultimate feeling of empowerment and choice like that is also what I teach with intuitive eating even so this is like super radical for a lot of people actually uh, I had a little footnote about this in my book and it's like blown up to like all these negative reviews on Amazon because also like trolls and people you know um, this but it's you know it's a very small part of intuitive eating and how I teach it but I really do think 
in a radical way, like we all have the choice to do whatever we want with food. Not that I'm granting that permission or have the authority to do that, but just we all have free will. We're human beings with choice, right? And, you know, so if you're someone who has an allergy, even a serious allergy, like a peanut allergy, you could choose to eat peanuts. Like you could do that. Not, I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying you could because you are a human being with free choice. Right. The question is like, do you want to and why or why not? Right. And, (laughs) and if you, you know, don't want to have an anaphylactic reaction, end up in the hospital, maybe die, then probably don't eat the peanuts. And (laughs) usually when people have that kind of serious reaction to something, they don't want to, right? It's like an intrinsic motivation because they know what has happened in the past. They know what the stakes are. It's pretty clear. And so there's not like a craving for peanuts in that situation. Right. Um, But, you know, maybe there could be, maybe for someone out there, they do, they're like, I know I'll die if I eat a peanut. And yet I'm like obsessed with, you know, peanut butter. Yeah, they've got the the red button. Say scrum diddly umptious. And then you can be in my podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you think about how much choice we have, it's it can be a really overwhelming f- feeling again it's like another philosophy that you, you on first instinct it's totally understandable that's terrifying the amount of toy like you know you're in a bad relationship like oh i had one of my favorite examples of this is a friend who's a philosopher and i love him dearly but he is such a contrarian that he can be a social nightmare <laughs> but he like he was like it was like a week before his wedding um and uh he said to his you know, his who turned into his wife a week later. He was like, um, "I mean, we could break up now. I could choose. We could. I could choose to end this relationship now." I mean, she was like, "Uh, you couldn't." He was like, I, "Yeah, I know, and I won't." But like, I could. Isn't that terrifying? Like, I actually could. You know, and they planned this wedding, and obviously they had a lovely wedding, and they're still together, and they're very happy, and blah blah blah. But it's actually like it's so jarring to be like, mm. dude, you couldn't. He's like, yeah, he could actually. Like, you right. can do the, you can do the, you you can do so many things that, yeah, and they wouldn't is, want to. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah, be it, does, it doesn't mean you have to, or you should, or you're advising them to. Right. But every now and again, it gives you this little like, oh, I feel so alive when you have one of those moments. Like, oh, I've got all this choice. Right. It's yeah. actually up to me. Yeah, and I think there's something so lovely as well. In as you're saying, in um, where you working out where you are on your journey with things and the things that might slip you back in. Like you were saying, you'd no effect. Not, you know, eating just instinctively, intuitively into your twenties. Go on a diet, bang, the world caves in. Um, I I find myself feeling my way with that too. Like, and I love, I love, 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 love weightlifting. And um, I am in that. I found the happiest gym I have ever been in any gym, and it's doing um some crossfit and some weightlifting and um I love the gym. It's predominantly women. It's run by a woman. There's no mirrors. I get. I go there because I love it and I f- mm-hmm. it brings me joy anyway. And there's no focus on changing bodies. It's about f- f- strongness, f- which is my 
favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of CrossFit, and I, the first time I saw it on this whiteboard as part of a workout we were going to do, um, is that you um, you go on a machine like a rower or ski machine or something for, and then you the amount of work that you do for some of the workouts is measured in calories. Oh, and I was God. like, what does that mean? And she was like, yeah, 10 cal. And then you'll go back and do this, that, you do that, that. And then there's all these lovely, and like, it's an action I enjoy. But I was like, I don't, oh, right. Am I going to, so I am going to, and I'd, you know, I'd been through the process of not counting things, not looking, you know, I hadn't even contemplated, I hadn't thought about the word calories for so long. I mean, I have since you can't avoid it really, a government wang on about it here. But, um, Oh God, I was, I got a real like little moment where I was like, ah, okay, I am going to have to take myself away and have a word with myself. Mm-hmm. An honest word. Can I do this type of working out if I'm going to have to face that word every day? And then, you know, it, it, in the end, I've, I've sort of gone, right, oh, right, it's a pinch of salt. What it means is two mm-hmm. minutes or what it means is, you know, work really hard for 20 seconds. And sometimes it's written like that. It's not always written like that, but I was like, you just, it isn't, I, how, how mad that that's a measure of a unit of work and I suppose actually right. I was like in my head I'm just going to, have to boil it down to the fact that that is what a calorie is it's how much time it takes it to is. burn a, burn with fire a bit of food like yeah. that's what and like well and oh. it, it, originally it was how much uh energy it takes like fuel it takes to move a locomotive a certain amount of distance it actually like was invented for like physical work and then only became sort of about food later like you know it was it was sort of becoming a thing like this was around the industrial revolution too and people are starting to think in these like mechanistic terms about like you know mechanical work and so then and people started to think about like humans in that way too of like these are workers how much mechanical work can they accomplish it was all very tied up in like this ugly capitalistic you know view of people as just cogs in a machine and that's where the calorie comes from that's actually like a whole story that i had to cut from my history chapter in my book because i really it's way too long already (laughs) but i (laughs) i want to write about that at some point about like the history of the calorie because it's so fascinating like it really is just about mechanical work but then it had it has all these things that have been layered on it now about it's taken on this huge emotional moral resonance hasn't it it's like oh god you know completely so Bonkers. yeah, but I, I I can imagine too seeing calories on a board like that would make me be like, okay, do I really want to do this? Like, no, I know I, I had a real quandary about it, and then actually as time went on, I was so falling in love with it was such a revolutionary space to work out in and people to work out with that I was like, I think I will pick my battles. Like I don't think it's I don't think this is making me think about you know. Mm-hmm. it's not triggering to use the word but equally yeah. you know every now and again there's discourse in that space and that's i feel like pick your battles mm-hmm. um put put use your energy to putting your shouting out or putting your hand up and going excuse me no thank you no no we, i'm not having i'm not i'm an adult woman who's doesn't mm-hmm. want a conversation with other adult women who are all you know we've all got interesting lives jobs we haven't got this spare three minutes to talk about we're doing this to earn your christmas that that, this that the others like i don't no no i just even in even doing it over zooms we're in lockdown here i'd be like no thank you (laughs) no thanks none of that no thank you um but yeah i still do the workouts that are says calories on <sighs> yeah i mean i think it's all like individual right if you if yeah. you feel because and it sounds like too you're in a strong enough place in your own recovery that that doesn't derail you and maybe you know years ago that would have been different or for someone else that would be different so it's kind of mm. like figuring out yeah because i i'm so about like not black and white thinking and not you know yeah. trying to think in shades of gray and um i think you know even though there's diet culture in so much fitness it's like kind of unavoidable in a lot of spaces there's still so much benefit to be gained from like the pleasure of moving your body in a certain way and if you love doing it and can you know kind of keep yourself from getting pulled back in by those thoughts of calories then that's awesome and if you know I feel like too I see people who do get pulled back in and then it's like okay well what do we do with this right like yeah is this important enough to you to keep going to this space and can you make some set some boundaries like how you're doing right and just you know can you talk to the person in charge and ask them to take that down or you know whatever it might be to make it safer for yourself or for some folks they might have to step away for a while and maybe they come back later you know 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Like it's. All I've good. just um. I sort of gone. I'll keep. I'll keep an eye on that. There's so much. I mean, I don't know whether you've had the um, the same experience there, but we've had. We were in a we are time of speaking in our third full lockdown, and um, the long patch we had between the first and the second was filled with our prime minister um, oh my God, bringing yeah. in a. I mean, luckily, we were back in lockdown again before it got off the ground. But the most ill-advised, ignorantly based uh, obesity strategy is what it was called. I think that's literally what it was called. And it involved um, a vow to put calories on menus. It involved, I mean, and my favourite was he personally did an advert for jogging where he said that he goes for a run at the beginning of his day and then that's the worst bit of his day over. And I was like, this is a man whose job is running a country where we have hundreds of people dying every day of a pandemic and we're on the brink of the worst economic collapse in the history of all history and the worst bit of his day is the joke at the beginning of it it's literally the shittest advert for running i've ever heard but also all, all of the stuff for all of the stuff about calories it's like ah and then there's just loads of television has been commissioned through diet companies here absolutely loads of really grim tv stuff where like Oh, there's a restaurant set up that's you eat your meal and then they then they say to the people there, there's a gym out the back. Now you have to go and burn off what you just ate. Oh, that was a thing. No. Like it's the stuff that's on TV. It's like it's it, the noise is wild. So actually, in the context of that, I was like, actually, I, if I do have any wobbles at the moment, I don't think it's about the calories at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's about it. Like the world right. is burning. Oh, my God. And yeah, the world yeah. is burning anyway. And then he's like. <laughs> fanning the flames with this yeah. stuff about calories that nobody needs to be thinking about right now like ugh, yeah there's so much more important and you know i i mean this is a whole other thing but like you know the research on covid-19 that's sort of making it seem like it's justified right that's the reason johnson is doing that campaign is like mm. i had covid you know higher weight is a risk factor therefore yeah. everybody needs to lose weight like the scientific support for that is not at all clear. The evidence yeah. is mixed. There's like a lot of evidence to suggest that in this and, you know, especially in previous pandemics, that the differential outcomes for people at the higher end of the weight spectrum are really due to bad medical treatment, like worse care because mm -hmm. of weight stigma, because of medical weight bias. And like that's starting to come out. There's like a few, you know, study here and there about COVID that that sort of suggests that. And we saw that in like the inf the H1N1, like swine flu pandemic back in the, you know, 2010 era that there was all this research saying like, you know, people of higher weights are, are at worse risk for swine flu. There was all this stuff about quote unquote obesity and sort of a similar push to like, you know, lose weight to protect yourself and blah, blah, blah. And then it comes out with like, you know, a few years hindsight and looking at um, like a systemic review, systematic review and meta analysis of all the data. Actually, the reason that people of higher weights had worse outcomes is because they were given worse medical treatment. They were had like delayed initiation of medication. And that was that explained all of the difference. Like, right. Wow. It is oh, wild. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even just I mean, even the language of it, I, I have I. I've got to the point where I've had the conversation so many times, but I, I, with like some of my most bright and brilliant friends, and then you go, oh, I don't, I can't even, I get, I still f have such an emotional reaction to like the idea of the language of an obesity strategy. It's like, it's, well, I hate fat people strategy. Like yep. essentially, and they're like, they're like no, no, is. come on, this is black and white. It, you know, at the end of the day, and I still, you know, I get emails from people who, who listen to this podcast. You think, dude, you're barking up the wrong tree, right? Like who email me going, yeah, I mean, I know you spoke to somebody with anorexia nervosa, but I have to say the government do need to make people thinner in this country. And, blah, blah, blah. and you're like, I don't wow. agree. Like I've just stopped replying. Maybe that's lazy, but I just think read, read some books. Right. I mean, I don't reply to that <laughs> stuff either. And also no. like anorexia is the same root system as, you know, people in larger bodies who might be struggling or whatever, right? Yeah. Like the, the diet culture is the same, the same 
problem the same you know like the, the problem comes from the same place right as trying to lose weight being told you need to lose weight being told higher weights are bad and unhealthy that's what leads to you know i mean it's biopsychosocial so there's other factors as well but like mm-hmm. that is a huge part that's the social part of what leads to things like anorexia you know? totally and that and and an a still kind of almost absolute cultural belief that fatness equates to unhealthiness, which is just not true. And until that can be unlearnt by at least a bigger minority or a louder minority, then, you know, up against it. Has there ever been a food or drink that you've been scared of? Hmm. I, I mean, definitely in my dieting days, you know, right. um, mm. like I was terrified of bread and carbs. <laughs> oh, God. There's yeah. a brilliant writer and chef here called Ruby Tando who talks oh, about yeah. it, calls it um, a carb crisis. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so true. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because it was around the time of Atkins and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, imbibing all that kind of anti-carb information, which is still there. It still exists. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the early 2000s, it was like fever pitch and um, yeah. yeah so I was like I can't have bread in the house but then you know someone would give me some delicious loaf of bread from like a lovely bakery and I'd be like I'm going I'm putting it in the freezer I'm not going to eat it and then I would like take off hunks of the frozen bread and be like I'm the worst person in the world you know and then suddenly the whole thing is gone it's like because restricting carbs makes you yeah. obsessed with carbs you need carbs. yeah like, we really need carbs I wow. need this cereal for example yeah um what would you say the swankiest food you've ever eaten is? Mm-hmm. Probably um, there's this restaurant called Olinia in Chicago. It's Ooh. like modernist cuisine, you know, with where it's like foams and like smokes. And it's, yes, they, it's often called molecular gastronomy, but the people who make oh. the food don't actually like that term. It's like more, okay. they're like modernist cuisine. That's what we do. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> so I went there for... I had gotten a job. They're like, excuse me, we're not that pretentious. Can you not call us? (laughs) Exactly. We're modernists. (laughs) Sorry, though, I cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I was like, I had just gotten a job at Gourmet Magazine, so I went there (gasps) to celebrate, and they had just been named the number one um, restaurant in the country at the time by Gourmet. And so we were like wanted to check out like what this what this was about and um, I mean so much privilege you know it was like a it was a mm. real splurge but and it was also I think like 25 courses or something oh you know, yes like, you know tiny tastes and stuff but by the <gasps> end I was like so full the most full I've been in my life and it was like basically like rich people tapas right oh yeah oh, oh yeah god 25 yeah. courses that's ex- oh my god it was it I was really want to do unbelievable it. I mean yeah so like dripping with privilege you know but also yeah. like such a fun weird experience <laughs> yeah okay well on that note what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten and mm. if it makes you feel any better about how weird it was I accidentally ate some sheep's brains once in China okay yeah so similarly I think it's like weird Ooh. cuts of meat probably uh-huh, yeah I had like Whoa. a spleen sandwich at this Italian restaurant or, or Italian, like, lunch counter in Brooklyn. <laughs> Tell me it wasn't written on the menu like that. I, I think it was. I think it was like spleen sandwich. <laughs> but they, in an Italian accent, so it sounded like, this sounds yeah. nice. This sounds yeah, really yeah, delicious. sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's weird oh, for me wow. to do an Italian accent. I'm, I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it. it's fine. Spleen a sandwich. I've done one as well. There we go. There we go. Um, (laughs) Oh, spleen. Do you remember what spleen tasted like? Oh my god, it was awful. It was so bad. The restaurant was great. Like this place was like. Do you know what? It was nice. It was like no. It it was like death. Like it had this like stench of like rot to it. It was very gross. Very gross. I've eaten other like off awful cuts, you know, that I've quite liked, like, you know, kidney and Mm -hmm. um, liver and things like that, or even brain. I think I had some, I think I've also had sheep's brain maybe in Mexico. Um, Because, you know, my my previous life before I was a dietitian was a food journalist, food and nutrition. So I wrote about nutrition and stuff, but I, I would like travel to places and write about the food culture there and you know restaurants yeah. and stuff 
So yeah, I've eaten a lot of weird cuts of meat, but spleen was the worst <laughs> and oh, the weirdest. Just because it's like, how do people eat this? Like it's, I don't know. I mean, some people yeah. probably love it, but to me, it was the worst. Oh god, that's so interesting about weird cuts of meat. There's a lovely, um, there's a great. He's uh, a friend and a lovely chef here called Sven Hansen Britt, and he um, he was just on Twitter today. Um, I think he was retweeting another chef actually, or um, or or like a food writer, but about um, give me, tell me, here are three like cuts of meat that you ne- wouldn't get in a supermarket, but you could get at any butchers because they're not like the popular ones, but they're delicious. Chefs, any other ideas? And there's this amazing thread. I'll put a link to it in the, um, I very rarely eat meat, um, but I think, you know, but I, but not never. And I was like, oh, that's like, I think that's quite an exciting thing to have as a list of. Like I've got a list of weird fruit I've never tried, but would love to. And that's, I was like, that's yeah, like, because those animals are going to be in the butchers anyway for the bits of them that people would know to order. But be, I think fun to go, well, if that's going to be there anyway, then I want to try a lamb breast. That was on the list. Right. Oh my I didn't God. even know lambs had breasts, but of course they do. Of course. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, sustainable lamb boob. That's what I'm going to oh, order yes. next time I'm in there. Because it is, um, right? It's like you can feel good about eating the, those cuts that would otherwise go to waste. Totally, like, and you know, you go. I went. You go traveling around the world to places where people use literally every bit of every animal that dies. You're like, this is it. Like, I have a. My partner thinks it's disgusting, and I think everyone who's ever met me in the last, well, since I got them, thinks it's disgusting. But when I was in my early twenties, I went traveling, and I was in Mongolia, and um, they use every single bit of sheep, Mm. every single bit, and um, there's a a very, very popular game that I ended up playing a lot of with Mongolian old ladies, which is sheep's knuckles. And there's, it's this, you get this like silk bag, embroidered bag of, full of sheep's knuckles. And they're just little bones, but they have like different divots and grooves on mm. each side. And you like, you roll them and where, however many land on a different thing, you add oh, up points. Like, and these like old women are amazing. Game. Basically oh. exactly like a dice game, but with <laughs> sheep's, tiny sheep's <laughs> knuckle bones. And I bought bag bag. And they're like, it's so funny. You, you spend months out there playing with these old ladies and stuff and get back and say, who wants to play sheep knuckles? And everyone goes, not me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> can't believe I've told you about that. Um, I'll play with it's you. very cool of me. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you drink, but if you do, a hangover, what are you having? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't had a hangover in so long because I do, oh. I do drink, but not very much. Um, Fair enough. But what did I have when I was probably like sometimes it would be like a hair of the dog, like a Bloody Mary or something. Nice. Just to, you know, take the edge off. Um, sometimes just like eggs and, you know, something kind of like a diner greasy egg yeah. kind of thing. So good. Yeah. I feel like Americans are much better at hair of the dog than us. Mm, interesting because I feel like I learned it from... <laughs> Maybe Uh-oh. a British person. <laughs> okay. Um, my uncle has lived in America since he was 18. Mm. And um, he introduced me to a Bloody Mary for breakfast. Oh, interesting. Like a really spicy one. But he was, I mean, he is English. Right. They yeah. call him like Yeah, I Bob. think it was like an expert. <laughs> that was him. That was the one. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. He's the most sociable man I've ever met. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um if there was literally no other option, would you eat a person? Mm. Like a person. Wow. A human person. I've left the question oh, open just in case there's like some I know. I was co- like, some context where you there... would, some where you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> if there's not going to be some where you wouldn't. I mean, I don't want to, you know, never say never, right? Mm. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know what I would do in that situation if there was nothing left. Like the survival instinct is real. And mm-hmm. I feel like, for me, that's always been the case. Like even as as self-harming as I might've been with my eating disorder, it never got yeah. to like a really like, you know, I I think my survival instinct is very strong. So I don't, I maybe I would, I really don't know. I wouldn't, yeah. I would hate myself for it. I mean, well, I try not to hate myself for anything, but I would, I would feel very guilty about it for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's really where you kind of the absolute boundaries of, um, Taking all of morals off of food, isn't it? It's a right. pretty cruel question on that note. It's like, it um, is. It really makes I think if, um, I think if I was really genuinely 
starving hungry and someone had cooked a person I hated beautifully. (laughs) 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 Right, it depends on the person for sure. It depends who it is, yeah. Someone delicious, but hateful. Um, No, I don't know. Um, Oh, let's have this. Have you got any particular event eating memories of note? So a birthday, a wedding, um, any big occasion really, or holiday, um, like where eating is a fundamental part of your memories of that event. Oh, good one. Yeah. I mean, because I was such a foodie, I think there are a lot of those types of things. One, one that really stands out to me is this trip I took across the country when I was moving to New York, when I was in like, I don't know, 22 or something, um, where we did a barbecue tour of the country and it was wow. you know, hit like the, cause there's different, like, this is sort of little known fact that I didn't even know before researching this. And I think outside the U S it's like mm-hmm. even less known is that there's so many different styles of barbecue, even within American barbecue, like there's Kansas city style, which is the, the type of like barbecue sauce that everybody sees, you know, and ha- like, that's like kind of the, the barbecue flavor that is used in like chips and stuff like that, I think is right. Kansas city style. But then there's also like Texas style car- like South Carolina style, um, North Carolina style, Memphis style, like dry rub, you know, it's, it's all mm. these different types of barbecue. So like the Memphis dry rub, I really loved, um, the Carolina style, like pulled pork was amazing. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's like, so fascinating how different it is and this was actually I had been vegetarian for a while and this was sort of my like first and was very disordered about food at the time too and this was my first like dip of a toe back into eating meat really and I just went for it just went hard (laughs) (laughs) one of my closest friends was vegetarian from when I think from when she was about eight like uh, she saw a documentary about animals and was like no and um, when she started eating meat again it was some ribs and I was like yeah I love it when people it's never like it's it's never like a chicken nugget or something you can pretend wasn't meat it's always like ah something very very, yeah that's really visceral or I had a friend I had a friend who was vegetarian also since like, you know, childhood for same reasons. And I had her first time back into eating any sort of animal with her. And it was like peel and eat shrimp. Like peel the head and the little legs yeah. and the eyes off. And like and yeah. the little and the little black strip that's their poo pipe. Yep, their Pull poop. that off. Get their poo like pipe off. You can't pretend that's not an animal. No, you can't. Yeah, that's a that's a heavy thump from veganism or vegetarianism <laughs> yeah. into that. I love it. The floor of the whole planet turns into a jigsaw. At first, it sounds really fun, but actually then people start tripping on the ridges, playing with pieces of it, and then falling into the Earth's core, and then a piece is missing forever. The sea starts leaking through the cracks, etc. It's hell. But luckily, it's agreed to stop it and be a normal floor of the Earth again, but only if you, and wait, it does have to be you, Christy, stroke two dogs, one with each hand, for six hours. It sounds impossible, but... You do it! You're a hero. You go down in history as a person who saved all of humanity from a jigsaw floor. Um, But your reward in the moment is the feast of your dreams. So I want you to imagine that because your hands have been busy for six hours, you are very hungry. You're as hungry, but also as happy as it's possible to be. So it's like the opposite of a last meal. Also, nothing has to be possible in this feast. It's a fantasy feast. so I would love to know in your dreams, literally, and in your happiest possible imaginable state, what would you eat? What would you drink? And if there's a who, with and where, and they don't have to be possible either, obviously, although they can be, then who, with and where? Oh, that's so good. That's a great question. I mean, God, I've eaten so much good food in my mm. life. I feel like I've been so lucky in that. Um, but some of my favorite meals have been Korean bibimbap and like <sighs> Korean barbecue. So I feel like maybe that, uh, like the mm. best version of that ever with, you know, maybe some other fun stuff thrown in, like like some really good tacos. And yes. Um, maybe it's like a tasting menu, right? Like it's like, you know, multiple yeah. small 
courses or whatever. Um, sushi, I've had like this amazing sushi, like uni. It's like a, a salmon or no, not salmon. It's a sea urchin roe. Like eggs of a sea urchin that is it sounds very disgusting but it's actually delicious i bet it's um, amazing i think it's delicious um so throw some of that in there maybe um drink wise um i really love lambrusco so maybe like a just Ooh. super delicious lambrusco it's like a red sparkling wine like sparkling red wine um mm. maybe uh, I mean, people w- to eat with, I would definitely say my husband. He's a super lovely person. Um, and gosh, like historical figures, living or dead. I mean, that's, that's, I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I, I would love to talk to like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X together yeah. and like hear about their different strategies and philosophies. Um, that's kind of heavy though and serious. So maybe someone fun also like, um, I don't know, hilarious <laughs> comedian. I love Pete Holmes, maybe him. Yeah. He's like a fun, fun comedian. Um, <laughs> how about some women or other gendered folks? Maybe, uh, yeah. maybe Malala could be fun to talk to amazing uh yeah i love the I idea know. of malala and pete holmes right sharing tacos and bibimbap <laughs> <laughs> lambrusco with you it's a very weird yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant it's perfect it's a fantasy that's the point yeah i think and that it's like amazing. this is very particular to this moment too who knows yeah knows who I yeah. would say on another day. Well, that's the other thing as well. I forgot to give you that mm. preface, but I think sometimes I get a bit stressed. People get a bit stressed out by the question because, and I have to give the caveat yeah. that like, I fully understand this is your answer now, but that your answer in 10 minutes might be completely different. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, this is your like morning answer on this day and in this yes. moment only. In this weird um, moment when we just had like a <laughs> siege on our capital the night before. And, yeah. Oof. Oh God crazy yeah. times quite literally quite literally Bananas. thank you so so much for talking to oh, me it's been yes. an absolute joy thank you so much for having me this is great What's an incredible, articulate, inspiring um, woman and an amazing conversation to have had. That's one off the bucket list. <laughs> um, I mean, I implore you to follow Christy's work if you're not or weren't already aware of her. Her website is christyharrison.com and there's links to everything that she does on there, um, including courses, um personal therapy etc but i mean in terms of stuff that everybody can definitely access she has a podcast called food psych that is extraordinary she talks to the most inspiring people um and obviously it's a podcast that's free anyone can get to that i also couldn't recommend her book highly um more highly it's called anti-diet its full name is anti-diet reclaim your time money well-being and happiness through intuitive eating um links as ever to um, everything I've mentioned in the podcast and predominantly, you know, most importantly to those things to her podcast and her book are in the podcast notes wherever you got your podcast from. If you want to try her box, you can get tenor off your first box using a link that's either again in the podcast notes or um, in the bio on Twitter if you're following at the Hoovering Pod to get um, whole tenor off. So it's only like two or three quid, I think, for a box. Feel free to support the podcast with lovely reviews and recommendations or with actual money on ACAS supporter or on Patreon. And follow me too, why not, at Jessica Foster Anything longer than a tweet to send me, you can email me through my website and I love it when that happens. Huge thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast. Hoovering is produced by the brilliant Emma Corsham and the music is by Mike Greenway. Until next week, happy hoovering. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.